So this morning we return to the meditative cultivation of Mahakaruna, great compassion. And especially in relationship to this deepest dimension of suffering, we call it existential suffering. And I think it's very useful on occasion to ask the really simple questions. Almost like, why are you asking that kind of question? And here's one of them. Why, why do we suffer at all? I mean, really, why? Why should the universe be designed that way? If it's just all about survival and procreation, we could just have a little red light go on. You know, we could be genetically programmed that we just see a red light when we do something that would be not conducive to our survival and procreation. And the, the species that didn't respond to the red light, they'd die out. And all the ones that took the cue, red light, don't do it anymore. They'd survive and they'd procreate. And there would be natural selection with no pain, just red light, green light. That'd be much sweeter. If I were designing a universe, I would do more like that, rather than the intense anguish and misery and physical pain that sentient beings are prone to. I mean, we don't need to, really, we don't need that loud a message. I mean, I'll stop. I saw the red light. I'll stop, you know? It could be that simple. And it's not. No red lights. We, it just, reality gets, us, gets to us where it hurts, where it really grabs our attention. I imagine all, if not, most, if not all of you, have on occasion experienced really intense pain. Really intense pain. I have. Nothing unusual about that. But boy, if you want to get immediate samadhi, just experience intense pain. It can be anguish. I've experienced anguish. And then really, whoa, catches your attention type of physical pain. Either way. Boy, you go into samadhi. That is that total unification of the mind. This is all I care about. This is my reality. My reality is 100% this, and I massively care about it. That's samadhi. That's big-time samadhi, right? But why does it have to be so unpleasant? So if we ask this very simple question, ask this to the Dzogchen tradition, the great perfection, to my mind, pinnacle of Buddhism, what's the answer? Why do we suffer? Why are we vulnerable to suffering at all? And the response is twofold. It's very simple. It's a simple question. It kind of deserves a simple answer. Because we grasp onto that which is not I and mine as being I and mine. It's one half the equation. That's the moha part. The delusion part of actively getting reality wrong. This body that I'm tapping right now, this is not a person. Not a person. Even if it took off, you know, took the clothes off. What do you get? You got skin. Take the skin off. What do you have? Blood vessels and flesh and bone and marrow. Those are not people. The neurons inside, the neurons, the glial cells, the synapses, the neurotransmitters inside my brain, they're not people either. Neither is a whole collection of them a person. A whole collection of them is a whole collection of chemicals and electricity, but it's not a person. The heart isn't a person. There's no part of the body, no collection of body parts that is a person. And nor is consciousness a person, nor is, are any mental processes a person. Or memories, or stories, personal histories, and so they're not a person either. And yet we grasp onto all of these as if they're really I or really mine. And that's a big mistake. We pay for it indefinitely. And then you say, yeah, but you know, it's, it's not my personal history that's me, and not my body and not my mind that's me. It's, you know, I'm the one that has them. I'm the landlord, you know, the CEO of the company, right? Yeah, good, show your face. 
if you're the CEO, are you the Wizard of Oz? Are you just an empty appearance? Or is there really somebody there who really has this body and mind that you can say absolutely, really, and truly, this is my body and this is mine because here I am and look who's in charge. Good, show your face, show your face. That's what they're doing that oscillations for. Who's in charge? Who's observing? Anybody there? Or is it just a, a chamber of mirrors, a hall of mirrors, you know? There's half the equation, getting it wrong. Grasping under that which is not I as being I, that which is not truly mine as being really, really mine. But what's the other half of the equation? This is Dzogchen. The first part is pan-Buddhist. It's for all schools of Buddhism. And now Dzogchen. The other half of the equation is we fail to recognize who we really are. So that's avidya. That's not knowing, unawareness. Not knowing who we really are, given that lack of knowledge, that lack of knowing, then we get it wrong. It always comes, there's that sequence. First, avidya, not knowing, and then getting it wrong. Whether it's the beginning of a dream, whether it's the beginning of a life, not knowing, and then getting it wrong. But if that's the diagnosis, then the solution is obvious. That is, there really should be a way. If that's the, the second noble truth, then there really should be a third noble truth. I mean, that shouldn't be hardwired. That shouldn't be the case. Since it's based on not knowing, well, then fix it. You know, Where there was not knowing, no. And where there's delusion, stop it. Stop misapprehending by actually getting it right. Once you get it right, then you won't misapprehend anymore. Right? Quite natural. If you know who you are, then you won't grasp onto that which you are not. That's just natural. So the first thing is to antidote avidya with, you ready for the word? Vidya, which is Sanskrit for rikpa, which is Dzogchen for you. That's who you are. When you see your own face, that's the Dzogchen terminology, when you see your own face, when you truly, at the deepest level, hold your own ground, then you will know yourself and you will know that you have always been and never been anything other than pristine awareness, primordial consciousness. So, it comes back to this universal adage, know thyself. One of the earliest adages or aphorisms in all of Greek philosophy runs through Buddhism, multiple traditions. So, an analogy... And it's so powerful. It's the, it's the best analogy out there as far as I can tell. Why do we suffer in the waking state? For those two reasons. Why do we suffer in the dream? Because again, our suffering in the dream can be just as intense. I think as many of you know, the suffering in the dream, especially the emotional suffering, can be just as strong and have the same impact on your nervous system, your immune system, your whole, your whole physical body, this body made out of organs, flesh and bone can have the same impact on your body and your mind, your psyche. The anguish, the misery, the anxiety, the fear, the, the rage, the terror, the anguish that you experience in a dream. Well, it's just as real, right? No less, no less. Why? There you are in your own private movie theater. Cinema, you. Why are you sitting in your own cinema and being miserable? I mean, that's crazy. It's your cinema, for heaven's sakes. Why not run happy movies? Why give yourself anguish? Nobody else is doing it to you. Nobody's dialing up, oh, I, I don't like her today. Let's dial up a really nasty nightmare and flash it over and then pay. You know? Nobody's doing that. All comes from inside. 
So why? Why are we vulnerable? I mean, at least we should have a break when we're sleeping. That would be nice, at least, you know, eight hours a day. Okay, reality is pretty tough to deal with 16 hours a day, but at least I can withdraw from all of reality, all of this mean, nasty, hostile, abrasive world around us with all those people, and you can't control them, you know, because they have their own individual continua. Ugh, so little control. But finally you come home to your own private cinema where there's nobody else there. And yet the crap beaten out of you at home, too. Now, that really sucks. That's really nasty. So then we say, OK, I understand if other people physically harm me and so forth and so on. Of course, I, people suffer. But why should I suffer at home, in my own private cinema, when I'm sitting back in the nice easy chair of the substrate consciousness, just minding my own business, and then loom, suddenly I find myself someplace I didn't want to be, and then I'm getting the crap beat out of me at home by people who don't even exist. <laughs> now that really sucks. And so now we can ask within the context of a dream, why should I have to suffer there at least? I understand, okay, the rough world, volcanoes and earthquakes and typhoons and so forth. Okay, okay, and then all these people. You know, okay, I understand that the way, I mean kind of, more or less. Okay, I'm a little pawn on the great big planet Earth which really doesn't care about me one way or another. That I understand, but really why my dreams? Why can't that be a nice refuge? Homemade movies. Why, why, you know, why? And very simple. Dzogchen comes to the rescue again. Why do we suffer at all in our dreams? And the answer is because we grasp onto that which is not I and mine, as being I and mine, and we fail to recognize who we are, namely, you're the, you're the dreamer, for heaven's sakes. It's your show, it's your cinema. You're the director, the producer, you're all the actors, you wrote the script. You're the one, you are the one. And you're not that little one in the dream. But you keep on grasping onto that little persona in the dream. And your qualities, your hopes and fears, your loved ones, your hated ones, and all of that grasping onto I, me, mine within the dream, and of course now you're vulnerable to every kind of suffering that your own mind can dish up to you. So there's one simple solution. Become lucid and recognize that you're the dreamer. Dr wake up within the dream. And suddenly, you know, there is a spectrum there, but frankly, the more awake you are, the more clearly, thoroughly, you comprehend the dream as the dream. You suffer no more. It doesn't matter whether people are, are sending A-bombs aimed at your forehead and they explode. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they give you a quart of cyanide and you drink it all with fizzy water. It doesn't matter. Nothing can harm you. Nothing can harm you if you're awake. To the extent that you're awake, nothing can harm you at all. And you know that. So you have this enormous lion-like confidence in the context of a lucid dream. No matter what happens, there's no reason for me to run away. Exactly again, where would I be running to? I'm going to jump outside of my mind into another cinema? Somebody else's cinema? Somebody else's substrate? Not likely, but then there's no need, because this is my cinema. This is my movie house. And I'm the dreamer. And if I want to shut it down right now, by cracky I'm going to do it. I'm going to slip right back into some peace and quiet of the substrate consciousness. 
In other words, if I don't like the movie, I can just say, and that's all it takes. Just stop. And oh, the whole dream just evaporates. It's a matter of seconds. And it's gone. Or, hey, I don't even need to escape into my substrate. This is my dream. I can either change it as I like, or I can just let it be, maintaining my wakefulness, my lucidity, and whatever happens has zero chance of inflicting any harm on me because I'm no longer grasping onto that which is not I or mine, namely this persona in this dream and all that I identify with, I'm no longer doing that. So I'm free of that delusion. And why? Because I'm free of the avidya, the not knowing that this in fact is a dream. I'm recognizing the dream as a dream and therefore I'm free. So let's develop Mahakaruna, great compassion for ourselves and others. to relieve your own suffering from its source by getting right to its cause. Take the first step by settling your body, speech, and mind in a natural state, setting yourself at ease in stillness and clarity.
are now drawing from the depths of your own wisdom, your own intelligence and insight. Pose, if you will, the question, why couldn't we all, all sentient beings, why couldn't we, we, we be free from this fundamental vulnerability to all manner of suffering and its causes? Why couldn't we be free? Then from the depths of your heart, arouse the aspiration. May we all be free of our basic vulnerability to all manner of suffering. May we be free of the suffering together with its underlying causes. Arouse this yearning, this aspiration with every in-breath. As you imagine drawing in the darkness of ignorance and delusion and all its resultant suffering, with each in-breath, draw this darkness into your heart, dissolving without trace in this orb of light at your heart, symbolizing your own pristine awareness.
then move beyond mere aspiration to arouse an intention, a resolve. Stemming from the greatest depths of your own being. I shall free us all. And with every outbreath, as you arouse this resolve, this promise, breathe out from this inexhaustible source of light at your heart, breathe out this light of compassion. And imagine freeing every being, those who are close and those who are far.
and then finally move into the fourth mode of this practice, if you will, if you find it suitable. And that is, may the Guru, the Guru is the enlightened ones, may they bless me that I may be so enabled that I may be free, that I may be free, all beings. With each in-breath, imagine drawing in the light of blessings of all the enlightened ones in all directions, drawn into your heart, filling your being. With every out-breath, breathe out this light of compassion and imagine all beings becoming free as you venture boldly into this realm of possibility, attending closely to it, inviting it to become real. release all appearances, all aspirations, all resolves, 
to the best of your ability, release all grasping onto I and mine. And allow your awareness to utterly release into its own ground, its own pure luminosity. Let it remain there, knowing and illuminating itself. Lasso. Insofar as you already do have some sense, some insight, some understanding of the manner in which this so-called waking reality is really dreamlike, then call forth, almost like drawing on your savings account and spending some money. Draw on your account your savings of insight, of understanding, of knowledge. And recall this, bear this in mind. Sustain it as you engage with other people, the environment, your own body and mind. Sustain that insight. Let it filter in the way you're actually viewing reality and not simply be an insight you had sometime in the past or some belief that you've acquired based upon perhaps careful reasoning or what have you. Don't let it be inert. Because it's useless. It's like having money in an account to which you have no access. You have it, but you don't have it. No practical value. So, insofar as you have any insight into that nature, then draw from your account and apply that to the way you actually view your own body, your own mind, other sentient beings, the whole environment. Then you get some benefit from your insight. Yeah? Oh, good. Enjoy your day.